Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Left Inside, a weekly podcast offering a critical look at news, politics and culture from a left perspective. My name is Jessie McKelly, I'm back again as host for this week and I am joined again by my usuals. We have Nicole McCarthy. Hello. We have Dave Murphy. Hello. And we have a new guest joining us this week. Um, you will know him as Leftist Dad on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter, so I can't, I don't know the fame of Leftist Dad, but I've heard only amazing things about it. Um, but also as editor of Rupture magazine, one of the four editors, um, we have Des. Hi, everybody. You're very welcome on to Left Inside, Des. Thank you. Um, so yeah, this week we're going to be back discussing the biggest stories of the week. We're going to be covering Golfgate and all the scandals and Big Phil Hogan and the audacity of him and everything like that. We're also just going to be talking generally about COVID restrictions and what else has been happening in the news. So um, I just noticed how you referred to him as Big Phil Hogan, like he's Hulk Hogan or something. That's what I keep thinking every time I hear it. Like, I don't know why, but every time in my head. And then you watch the, the resignation and he's this like little word. <laughs> every time in my head, I think of Phil Hogan. I don't know why, but um, yeah. Um, but to start us off, Des, as an introduction, tell us a bit about Rupture magazine. Um, this is the new eco-socialist quarterly that has just been released uh, this month. And it's been going well, hasn't it? You, one of the editors on it. Um, how has it been going so far? Yeah, well, it, well, it's gone really well. We've just um, published our first edition. I think it's just three weeks ago now that we've got the first, uh, got the hard copies and started to deliver on those. So it was quite a lengthy journey that, you know, within Rise, we started the conversations about wanting to have a, a publication. Um, and kind of, I, I, you know, put my hand up to be, to be part of the editorial board for that because, um, you know, I'd kind of been reading the likes of Jacobin from the US and then Tribune for, in Britain, uh, which were of interest. Um, also wanted to do something kind of different to what had been produced uh, by, by uh, the left in Ireland in recent times. Um, something that would be engaging and interesting to a, a wide range of people with, you know, uh, a left-wing view of the world. Um, but also something we, we kind of said at the outset, we want, you know, rather than Jackman is just, a kind of, you know, isn't associated with any particular uh, organization, but we did kind of want uh, our magazine to be associated with and reflective of the politics of, of rise. So to be reflective of our Marxism and our eco-socialism, but then also to have other left-wing um, contributors uh, beyond Rise. Um, so, you know, one of the highlights for me in this first edition of the magazine was to have Michael Lowy uh, contributing, who is kind of uh, somewhat of a, a legend in eco-socialism internationally. So that was fantastic to to have. Yeah, I just finished reading his book, actually, and it's just like, oh, I don't know, so cool. It's like, it's almost like, you know, these people are like talking about things like brand new theories of eco-socialism and stuff like that. And it's just like, it's really exciting to be reading yeah. about, you know, yeah. it's very cool. Groundbreaking. Really, it is, though. That's It's like, it's like building on Marx, but it's stuff that like Marx didn't even cover himself you know obviously because of the time it was written and stuff like that but it's like it's just like it is like groundbreaking it's very cool it's yeah. very yeah um 
But we also then spend quite a bit of talk, uh, time talking about the design of it because um, I think you know the, the design of left-wing publications in, in Ireland <laughs> leaves quite a bit to be desired. And we did feel we'd like to do something um, innovative and interesting and new and again, engaging uh, for people. Yeah, I feel like the time spent on it was well worth it because it's so eye-catching. Definitely. Yeah, and a lot of time was spent on it. Yeah. And <laughs> I feel that. So some of my, my you know, the, 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 our other members on the editorial board in particular brought some really good um, design opinion, opinions to it. Certainly that part of it, I was a bit of a, a backseat passenger uh, and just kind of was commenting um, uh, on what looked nice and what didn't. And I wasn't able to bring a lot of expertise beyond that. But some, you know, some of our members did have great uh, expertise. So it's um, definitely like pretty first and foremost, which I think is a great thing, because I feel like people understate the importance of that like you might have the best articles possible you know you might have the best things written in it if it looks shit no one's gonna pick it up to read it so do you know what I mean it has to look pretty first and like it has to be beautiful on the outside and the inside isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) but especially for like catching people's attention if you're trying to you know spread your ideas at a protest or amongst your friends and family and stuff to to be able to show them something so beautiful and finished and polished that we worked on is amazing and it's really a lot easier to sell trust me <laughs> and and key to making that happen was that you know we decided that we would get a professional uh designer involved and we you know we were really lucky through you know people who knew people to get in touch with um Hunter Christopher who who did such a fantastic job on it so that, that was it was something we had to think about because that obviously costs money and you know we we don't have a whole lot of money uh to to use so we thought about it for quite a while but in the end we said yeah this is going to be worth it and we're really so glad now that we did do that so you know I I think we uh you know it, it turned out well very well in terms of both uh, the, the content and the look and feel of it. Are we declaring now the eight-page black and white so left-wing like newspapers now dead? No more Walker's Vanguard. No more Walker's Hammer. What do you What do you mean, Dave? <laughs> I thought newspapers were at the cutting edge of journalism, and like you know, people love that. <laughs> Is that not what all the young people are reading nowadays? No. <laughs> I, I I was showing the magazine to like people I work yeah, with, like yeah. and comparing it to like other like newspapers or whatever that I collect from various left-wing groups like you know and just like the contrast was was unbelievable definitely i think nicole you the article you wrote for it um wins best title for sure sage against the machine that is like the the coolest i'm so proud of that the article wrote itself after that to be honest guys (laughs) it's like seriously it doesn't matter what you wrote like that title is (laughs) i love a good pun But maybe tell people what's it about, because it's a very intriguing title. What is it about? I mean, so the idea of Sage Against the Machine is obviously to catch people's attention because it's a hilarious pun. But it's also to kind of highlight that people are kind of acting in a kind of rebellious and anti-capitalist way if they are to take, you know, gardening into their own hands and to start to look into things like horticulture and you know, living from the land and stuff like that again, like that's a real growing trend. So just to kind of address that and how people genuinely are happier, both physically and mentally, if they spend time in nature and they embrace it and they go out and put their fingers in the soil and listen to the birds and, you know, all of that good stuff. Love it. 
No, it's cool. And I think as well, like we were talking about there, like how it's different to other left publications, stuff like that. And like, I think that's also a big aspect of what's in the magazine as well. Like we have a whole section on like what historically has been done by socialists, what can be improved on, what we think, you know, should be like gotten rid of totally, should be totally started again, stuff like that. I think like that's really important part of the magazine as well so yeah I'm really interested to see how it's going to develop as well with us including opinions from other places on the left and you know the idea is to hopefully have kind of a debate style thing at some stage and you know it's just really nice to share ideas across the left instead of just slating one another and putting each other down you know yeah the the, the idea would be that, that you know we'd engage with it in a dialogue with others on the left um you know that that it has that double role of you know just uh, expressing the, the the rise view of the world but also then uh, in hearing the, the views of others and have that dialogue and share that w- with people who are, are are reading it because you know that that is going to be the nature of um you know building a a broad left uh, organization that you know doesn't exist currently and is badly needed and rise we know that we're not going to be that you know big you know uh, working class organization but we want to be part of it so you start off by you know uh helping to generate a dialogue with yeah with with, with what you've got so um yeah and where please illuminate us des can we get a copy if we haven't gotten one yet i have mine but if any listeners out there want one are we selling out i heard is that a rumor or yeah it's um it, well it we're not getting... selling out but the magazine <laughs> yeah. is good oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're selling out in a good way um, in the, yeah in the good way <laughs> yeah we're we're approaching now the last i heard i think we were down to about 20 copies but we are going to do a a, a, a small additional print run that, get them that, while they're available guys yeah. so yeah they are they are running low we will are printing a few more but not a, a huge amount um so they they are available through the the rise website and onto rupture there um or rupture on on twitter and you'll just see the link so you can buy it uh, online is going to be your, your best way to get it there were there were were some in Connolly Books um, in in the city centre in Temple Bar. Uh, I'm not sure if they're still there, but if someone w- wanted to was in the city centre and wanted to pop in there, some are available as well. Oh, wait, if someone goes in and sees that they're all sold out, send us like a a picture of it over social media so we can be proud of ourselves yeah. in that way too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly, yeah. If there's still all the copies there, though, don't tell us. We don't want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, well, thank you for that, Des, giving us a bit of insight on rupture. Um, yeah, so we'll jump into news stories from here, I think, um, to Big Phil Hogan. Uh, <laughs> like, I just cannot get over the neck of this man. Like, he is just something else. Like, I don't know. Can someone bring us up to date on the actual shenanigans that took place at all because like I couldn't keep up with how fast he was moving around the country at one point like (laughs) he was just like jumping from county to county so does anyone know exactly where he went or what it was obviously the golf thing but wasn't he also in Kildare and like going in and out of Kildare no bother like or something like that he went to so many places that when he was explaining himself to the the president of the commission he had to provide a map of Ireland to show where all the different counties were so he 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 arrived back <laughs> like th- that's real. Like uh, he provided her a map to show everywhere. Oh, so um, he arrived back, I think, on the thirty fourth of July. So he was meant to like self isolate because our quarantine because 
was coming from Brussels and it's not on um, the green list or but whatever. But he didn't break any laws, Dave. Just guidelines. Well, he didn't. He didn't. Well, yeah. Um, it's like so the he, Johnny Cash song, isn't it? Like, I've been everywhere. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've been to Canada. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so, like, he, he arrived in Dublin. He went to somewhere where he's staying in Kilkenny, presumably his home. Then he had to travel back to Dublin for a medical appointment. And I think he also met Leo Varadkar. Then on his way back to Kilkenny, he stopped off in Kildare, where he has another place to collect uh, papers. Then he also made a second visit to Kildare at some point. He went to Limerick as well. Oh, and then he sake. went to wherever this golf game uh, was happening. So he did this like whole tour. And he apparently as well, he also went to the K Club for dinner on the night he got back despite saying he was quarantined. So he did all that traveling. He went for a game of golf. And he got stopped by the guards while using his phone while driving. It's like Here, the fella went uh, everywhere. But he didn't break any laws. Isn't that what he said? In yeah, he just didn't follow. He didn't follow the guidelines in as tight a way he could have. But has anybody seen that um, picture going around the internet of like the Wikipedia page for him? No. Is it him? I think it's him. And it's like, you know, explaining that he's the EU commissioner and it's like known for having the <laughs> the world's longest neck for fucking <laughs> things that he's done. <laughs> That's very good. The fucking neck. The neck. (laughs) (laughs) I saw someone on Twitter saying that they were scarlet for the people in the counties where Phil Hogan didn't bother going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cabin cabin missed out. As always, as always. Yeah, so this actual golf game, the whole scenario with this was um, crazy, right? Like, I think this is like, we can laugh about Phil Hogan being an absolute gobshite. But this golf game, I feel like there's like serious aspect to it because of like the people that were at it. So it was like, what, media people, uh, ex-judges, Fianna Gaelers, Fianna Fallers, Labour heads. Like, it's like all these people who, you know, supposedly fight against each other and, you know, all kind of have the best interests of the people at heart and stuff like that. And it's like, nope, they're all playing golf together. And who knows what the fuck they're talking about? Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I heard, Mm -hmm. I heard like they had like, papers with them and stuff like that like I don't know like what sort of business deals were going on or whatever yeah I don't know it's fairly makes makes you fairly sick like you can absolutely just imagine them doing that like stone cutters that we do (laughs) (laughs) and also there's that scandal of like Brian Hayes had a plus three was it or plus two and the rumor has it that they were um vulture fund people like owners or whatever you would call them yeah so like it, uh, Brian Hayes is the. I think like he's he has some high position in this group, the Banking and Payments Federation, which is so he's like a, a lobbyist for the banks, you know, and like he's a former, I think, junior minister for finance. So like he's the type of guy that can move from politics to this type of career and like lobby, like mm-hmm. you know, you know the way they say like it's like there's an invisible link between you know the political establishment and these big business interests, and this is what this dinner was like, you know, so like they don't have to report. Like there's rules around lobbying, but like you just you're you're not lobbying. You're going for a game of golf with the lads, like you know. <laughs> oh, I didn't know we would all be here at the same time this evening. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I brought I brought I brought my vulture fund yeah. mates along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coincidence. <laughs> they just love a round of golf. Yeah, I was thinking like if you were asked to create a 
an infographic showing how power works in capitalism, you'd come up with something like the 81 people in, in that room um, because, you know, it's made up of Fine Gael and Fine Gael politicians, you know, a senior uh, mainstream media, radio presenter, Supreme Court judge, CEO of the Bankers' Federation, CEO of Digital Business Ireland, also a former Labour Party uh, senator, Phil Hogan, an EU commissioner. And and I think, you know, I think that's why it had such an incredible, there was an incredible visceral response of people to it, because people kind of know that that's how power and capitalism works in Ireland and in general. Um, but it's kind of, you know, uh, it's an abstraction normally. But here it was, bang, right, r- revealed to them under a bright white light. Um, and in the context then of, of you know, uh, the way people have been, you know, living over the last few months, um, and you know the the, the frustration with the way, um, you know, the, the the situation has been uh, dealt with, you know, the 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 um, and the disre- disregard for both public health requirements, all um, got triggered, uh, and you know, produced this incredible visceral response from people because it just brought it from the abstract into the real. Yeah, like the like I think that a lot of people were kind of saying, oh, like how stupid are these people to be like caught doing this or whatever like that. And it's it's not that they're stupid. It's that they like knew they would be able to get away with it for the most part. Do you know what I mean? Like there's one law for everyone else and then a different law for them. Like it's not that they like thought no one would find out, you know, like they knew probably they would get found out. But they just like obviously the only people who've had to re- resign is Derek Callery and now Phil Hogan, but like everyone else got free. Do you know what I mean? Pretty much like there has been obviously backlash, but like, do you know, like it's not that they just like didn't have an idea that this was going to happen. Like, I think it was, I heard that, um, and Kenny was there as well, but he didn't go to the dinner. He just went to the golf, um, game or whatever. And he said that this was a bad idea and uh, no one listened to him or whatever. When Enda Kenny is the most intelligent person in the room, <laughs> you gotta fucking look at yourself. And like, do you know? <laughs> <laughs> but but like there, there's like what the thing about it, like so stuff like this probably goes on all the time and we very rarely hear about it like they were comparing it to the time with Brian Cowan when he was caught playing golf with the head of one of the banks just months before it, it you know it sank the economy so like it's the, it's the actual it's just the specifics of this that have exposed them like you know like the idea that everyone else is locked up you know in their houses uh, you know, like obeying laws that like Seamus Wolf, you know, <laughs> has a hand in writing that Derek uh, Cleary or whatever he's called is is going around passing through, and then like the day after, he's literally, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest insult. Is it's literally the day after? Yeah. Well, I think Derek Cleary didn't he famously say say that uh, uh, COVID nineteen loves to party, and the next day he went to a party. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the whole thing as well that's really pissing me off like this idea that oh it's young people and partying and whatever and obviously like yeah sure there are young people having parties around the country whatever they shouldn't be doing it but like it's not the main reason at all like do you know what I mean like there's obviously way more at play here like and they're just love to brush it off onto someone else and like get away with all the shit behind the scenes it's just rotten like I genuinely feel like they're so arrogant though that they're kind of nearly feel as though they should be still allowed to meet up with each other you know what I mean they were like yeah but we wanted to to mark the occasion of a man that I knew well's death I think was one of their excuses and it's just kind of like 
people all over the country have relatives who have passed away from this. Who are, you know what I mean? As if your memorial is more important than other people's, and that genuinely is their attitude. Like, but but like the, the idea that they thought they could just stick a partition down the middle of the room with a hotel, like you know, yeah. and that they, this was this was like them dividing into two smaller groups. It's just incredible. And apparently, yeah, uh, F- F- Phil Hogan, he's now kicked out of his like hundreds of thousands a year job. And like all he got for it was apparently he won a George Foreman at the golfing tournament. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been loving all those jokes. I hope that was worth it, Phil. That you're gonna be grilling now yeah. for a while. Well, George Foreman was known for his comebacks, <laughs> like a boxer, like so maybe uh, Big Phil's look shaping up for one, you know? Oh God, I hope not. Like, did anyone see his apology? Like the like the worst apology ever. It just reminded me of like gaslighting like exes or whatever you know being like I'm sorry if this hurt your feelings like I'm not sorry about what I did I'm sorry that you got upset about it do you know what I mean like oh it was made my skin crawl it's kind of like, like almost like he was annoyed at people for paying attention to it you know what I mean he's like right. it was a distraction from my duties as I was doing you know what I mean no it's not a distraction it's people actually calling you out the truth like you know what I mean if it's the distraction to try and get people to not pay attention to these things that their politicians are up to like like, I don't know, he just said distraction or distracted probably about a thousand times in his little five minute speech. Like at one stage, he said, in fact, I've done it. He was like, um, I know how to take responsibility for my actions. He was like, in fact, I've done it before, 25 years ago. And what I want to know is what the fuck did he do 25 years ago? Does anyone know? And if Dave so, how did he, he end up as a EU commissioner afterwards? It. Yeah, I'd look, that's why I wanted to, to ask the question before we let you in, because I knew that you would know. <laughs> he, he, he was a minister for something and he had to resign. Um, I can't remember what it was over though, but I know, I know that he'd previously resigned from a position. But I, I, I think he tried to put a better gloss on it that time. Sort of like Derek Leary's doing this time, like all this talk about Derek Leary being an honourable man because he's resigning. And it's like, no, he got caught, like, you know. Like, <laughs> why do they think that that's taking responsibility? Like, like it's a good thing to bring up that you had to resign 25 years ago as well. That's like going into your job interview and being like, yeah, well, I did have to resign from my yeah, last yeah, job yeah. as well. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something that you want to fucking bring up. Like, <laughs> it was, There was a bizarre thing as well. Hogan, he was doing a radio interview and he was, you know, asked about this thing where he was stopped by the Gardaí for using a mobile phone while, while driving. Um, and then in response to that, he made some comment about, well, if the guards knew I was an EU commissioner, they wouldn't have pulled me over at all. But, you know, it's, oh yeah, my that, that's God. not how it works. The you know, audacity. The, yeah, the level of entitlement that's so embedded that he couldn't even stop himself saying this on a, a national radio interview that was designed to try and, um, you know, uh, deal with and dampen the fires of this crisis and comes out with this stuff. So uh, the, the, the psychology... Sure, what was it he said about the water charges when um, he was like, oh, we'll turn the water down to a trickle if people don't pay or whatever. Just like absolute like bullying mentality, just like... Oh, just a brute of a fella. He just—he seems absolutely awful. Like the like, cheeky grin on his face the whole time he was doing that resignation. Like he—he—he he, he thinks it's all a joke. But like this—this this thing about like Big Phil, right? Big Phil, you know. And then like all the political correspondence, like he's a bruiser, he's a tough man, you know. All this type of stuff. It's like, not a good thing, like. <laughs> no, but but he's not like when you think about it, right? So like water charges, he was going around throwing shapes, like you know, yeah, I'll cut your water off. He got beaten going around thinking he can break all the lockdown rules people go mad people knock him down again you know he's, a, he, he, he's out of a job like you know and uh, like the, the guy is just unbelievable like and I think like 
before he even apologised, like, he tried to put this story together saying, like, you know, oh, well, I didn't really do that. And he tried to put blame on, like, the Hotel Federation saying, I checked with them. They said it was okay to have the partition. And then the whole Hotel Federation had to come out and say, yeah, no, we didn't. Then uh, something came out saying that he was seen somewhere else. So, like, he had to add to this story. He tried to have this story that he was Kilkenny, Dublin, Kildare. And then, like, it just all kept coming out. Do you know what, though? The worst thing about it all is, is if this podcast, or when this podcast is still going in a few years, we're going to be talking <laughs> about his next fucking job that he has to resign from, from a high-powered position. Do you know what I mean? He's just going to get placed back somewhere now again. Brian Hayes and the lads all sort sure, sure, sure. He He bought a gaff for 425 grand with no mortgage on it there a few months ago. What? Fuck's sake. Like, what the hell? No wonder he was smirking yeah. the whole time. <laughs> So he's re- he's basically like probably wanted to resign anyway. This is a easy out for him, or it's not, like he's he, he sleeps yeah. on money. He sleeps on a bed of money. <laughs> Rotten. But like, yeah, I think people are just getting pissed off in general. Like, obviously, people are pissed off at the lockdown. Like, people, you know, had hoped to be out of lockdown by now. Obviously, it's not the case and everything like that. I think people are just getting fed up and like the government had a facade of like they were doing a good job at the start not even a good job but they were just kind of like trying to help people you know and now that's just like gone and like they've been showing up for what they are um but i think like it's very justifiable that people are getting pissed off at this stage like you know yeah i i think it did trigger a lot of things you know going right back to, you know say go back to the the 2020 election in in february where finnegale and finnefall got the lowest combined vote between them in you know in the history of this of the state and yet remain in power um and and this you know it's a point that's been made before that this government has probably got the lowest level of working class votes um that any government has ever had in, in the in the history of the state so there's all that class exclusion and resentment that is there and it's the first economic crisis in the history of the state where there isn't mass emigration immediately kicking kicking in um Instead, we've got, you know, a lot of younger people um, who, you know, would have gone, who are here and are deeply resentful about um, the situation they're in and how the government is dealing with it. So I think it has triggered all those resentments that are there, that that are building up. Um, and that's why it has been as ferocious uh, as it is and, and why the establishment has had to go further than it often would in these situations. Often there wouldn't be as many resignations as quickly as there have been because they just ride it out. But just the, the, the level of resentment that has been building up um, out of these various things all got triggered by the sheer... Oh, it's it like a slap ghastly? in the face yeah, on yeah. top of it uh, all. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you see Stephen Donnelly? Um, was it last week about the trampoline? <laughs> Stephen Donnelly is... Um, like, he's just like a politician who's become a minister because he has the ability to string a sentence together. <laughs> and, like, in, in normal times, as a minister, like, he could be a robot with an algorithm, right, that just pulls out, like, buzzwords from, like, 1990s, like, neoliberal management books, like, you know? Yeah. That's all he speaks, like. Synergy. We're going to get a team together. We're going to be precise. We're going to do this. And he's taken to walking around with his sleeves rolled up, which is, like, hilarious, as if he's got to oh, get no. in. <laughs> and then... I did this interview, this interview where he, he he's like copying Donald Trump saying like, like the pre- presenter goes to him, you know, there's loads of parents around the country who are going to be scared tonight, you know, because their kids are going back to school this week. And he's like, yeah, I'm scared too, <laughs> you know, but, but we have to take risks. Driving a car is risky. Yeah. Jumping on a trampoline is risky. And like, you're like, what? 
What is wrong with this fella? I actually didn't think to compare it to Trump myself until now, Dave, and that is so true. Like, he's just like, yeah, so schools are, are different from our homes because they're controlled and our homes aren't controlled. And he's just talking shite. Like. Not like it's we elect you to make sure that it's safe. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, imagine the person who was fitting your airbags in your car was like, you know, it is dangerous. You know, we don't know what we're going to do about it. And it's like, just put the airbags in and then it won't be as dangerous. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like very easy. Like, And then she pushes him on it and she's like, why are this the interviewer? And she's like, why? are you comparing this global pandemic to children going on a trampoline? And he's like, well, you know, loads of things that we do carry risk. And you see the faces he's pulling in it. Like he's saying this mad stuff and he's looking at her like, and he, he, it's like he knows, like, you know, the algorithm. <laughs> am, I ge- the, am I getting away with this? Is this okay? My, my, my algorithm is broken, you know? And he's, like, <laughs> he's just there looking at her. Bring like, out the trampoline. They never know what to say when you bring that. <laughs> but the, the irony is that his his advisors that, that he's employed, I think there's at least two of them, but they, they don't have any health policy background. I think they're, they're media people, you know, and that looked odd to start with. But then even, you know, when it comes to the media piece, you know, to make a, such a god-awful mess of that. Like, That's you know, so true. You know, like, because... <laughs> it's like, Stephen, reassure them that you're in control and you know what you're talking about. And it's like, don't just do the absolute opposite. Like. <laughs> control, alt, delete. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but come here, there was this, there was this hilarious uh, piece in the, the Irish Independent talking about him, right? So I'll just read this quickly. Within government circles, there isn't surprise that Stephen Donnelly has been found out uh, just that it's happened so fast. After dealing with Donnelly a few years back while he was still in opposition, a mild-mannered civil servant described the future health minister as the biggest bullshitter in the doll. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, 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 it continues on. Donnelly nev- some title to have as well. <laughs> Donnelly never misses an opportunity to mention he was a management consultant and treat anyone else as if they are simpletons. His mansplaining of COVID-19 restrictions have now exposed him to a wider audience. <laughs> The guy is like, that's a Irish Independent, like, you know. That's fairly Jesus. fucking spot on for the Independent. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't think it. But did you see with the schools going back, the picture of the 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 isolation room in some school, which was like a garden oh shed God. out the back yeah. with a few breeze blocks holding it down and two chairs, like, you know. It's well, just in general, like me, like just on Facebook, seeing people post pictures of their kids going back to school in my brain. I'm like, no, like, don't. I don't know. It just seems wrong. Like, I don't know. We shouldn't be it's like you're sacrificing them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of weird. Also, saying that schools are a controlled environment, you can't control kids in the same way. Like, like, they're going to be hugging and they're going to not follow the restrictions in the same way like dirt as a kid like (laughs) do you know what I mean it's no you have no idea about germs when you're younger like and they're all they haven't seen each other as friends in six months you're gonna be excited and you yeah no it's not gonna work as a controlled environment but like isn't what's happening it's like what happened at the start of the pandemic with uh, health like where you know like this terrible state of all public services in the country whether it's health education anything it's like the pandemic has shown how bad they are. Like, you know, like at the start it was health where they had to like try and get people like to come back to Ireland to basically work for free as doctors and nurses. And now like the issue around schools where like we have the highest class sizes in Europe, they can't get teachers. You know what I mean? Like the, the whole thing is falling apart and we put up with this normally and we're told that like, oh, there's nothing we can do. And now it's like, well, it's not normal. So how are you going to, like how is society going to function with, with, 
everything in such a state like yeah like the high class numbers is like you say is a problem already and it's something that like teachers have been talking about it's like you're not able to cope with 35 in a class like especially junior senior infants do you know what i mean like four-year-olds running around like it's impossible if there's like 40 of them do you know um and now obviously like you're saying again it's just it's really not possible now, do you know what I mean? Now it's like actually dangerous to the population in general. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, I just don't know. But I feel like I feel like there's been no guidance for schools. Yeah, like, I was just going to ask, does anybody know what the measures that they're claiming have been brought in are? People I know who are teachers are kind of just like, where we're going to have to like work it out. Like, I feel so bad for like my friends who are teachers. They're kind of just like, we're going into this fairly blind. Like, we have an idea about what we're supposed to do. But like, no masks, no, like... Did you see that like picture of like all the rules for COVID-19 restrictions and then all the rules for schools? And it's just like you can have this many people in normal times. You can have like twice as many in schools. You have to wear masks everywhere in society and in schools, no masks. Like it's just like I don't understand <laughs> like yeah, at all. Like, but no wonder people think that it's it's like what what we're being fed is a lie. You know what I mean? Because there's such contradictory information out there like and they're saying that everything is according to health experts advice but then it's not the same information that we're delivered you know what I mean it's it's get business back to usual for profits basically and then if we can stick in a precaution here and there that doesn't cost us anything then happy days. It is a thing that's going you, you see it globally that there is this huge push to get children back to school no matter what now you know getting getting children to school is important you know there's, there's a huge risk for for children not having uh, uh, you know their their education experience but you know there's just there's this this major push on that you feel is just connected to get the children back to school first and then put the pressure on the parents to get back to work uh, comes next and and that's that's the driver behind this you know which is clearly deeply disturbing and it just looks inevitable you know that the the next wave of covid-19 is is probably going to be heavily a function of 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 children in school the way things have been set up but also you're thinking if teachers are going to be exposed to it then like teachers are not going to be able to cover as easily from different schools and stuff like that and having subs and that like it's you're opening a minefield here <laughs> It's literally just like a bunch of contradictions wrapped in like an oxymoron. I just, it it baffles me like how the government still are trying to hold up this idea that they're dealing with it well, you know, when they really seem to be making it up as you go along. And like you say, Nicole, like these people who are now going out to protest and saying that maybe like COVID-19 is a hoax and a lot of people seem to be believing that more and more, you know, like it seemed to be, I see like more and more amongst people I know. Um... You can't really blame them, to be honest, because it does seem like a joke. It does seem like they're just making it up. And um, if they were dealing with it better, obviously, do you know what I mean? There would be much more information out there. There'd be much more clear information. There'd be much more um, consistency in how they're dealing with it. But as of right now, like, yeah, like 2000 people out protesting last week. And obviously there's different aspects to that protest. I think there was organized by a lot of far right organizations a lot of far right figures and stuff like that um but i'd say the majority of the people out there aren't far right do you know what i mean they really are just concerned about the country and stuff like you know absolutely and it's just a it's just an opportunity for the far right to to take a platform on it you know and then it kind of it 
endangers people on the left speaking about the issue then as well because the far right kind of own it then nearly you know and it's just it's a tactical decision on their part yeah, I think there's like like if people remember back to before Christmas before Covid there was like a counter protest against the far right and like they were outnumbered three or four to one outside the doll and I think what what the issue is is that like there's a bit of a vacuum now at the moment because like like you can imagine across the country are there 1500 people who would see what was going on last week with the government, you know, in terms of what an absolute mess it is, that the double standards, uh, the, the, like, the mixed-up information the government had given out, they could have had, like, so much happen to them in their personal lives over the last six months, lost a job, somebody, you know, died, unfortunately, and that there's not 1,500 people who would travel up to Dublin two days after this major scandal comes out to have a protest. So, like, th- there is that... Um, like it, it is imaginable that anybody could have called the protest and got that uh, number of people, but I think like the far right are operating in this vacuum where you know, like the vast majority of people are like if you get on, like when I go into work on the bus, like people have masks on, and um, when you go up to the square and tell like people are everyone's wearing a mask, like so people are are going with it, and they're just trying to exploit the, this anger and like they're where they're pointing people is into all the wrong all the wrong avenues. Yeah. The I mean, the far right, they really seize the opportunity created by the lockdown to to, to, to literally, you know, to flout the, the, the restrictions and literally claim public spaces that they wouldn't have been able to, to take before. Um, you know, so taking the, the GPO, which they've, you know, taken up residence on there. Because if you think back, it, it, was, it was in February 2016, when remember when Pegida tried to organise and they tried to do something at the GPO? And, and they got the attacked on the mobilized. train. <laughs> yeah, the, the left mobilised and literally ran them off the streets and they were never heard of again. Um, and, the, and the left should and I think would have mobilised this time around. But because of the pandemic uh, and the, the restrictions, the, the left were, were effectively demobilised. The, the far right ignored it and have established themselves and, and you know, and have grown. Um, and now, you know, uh, have use conspiracy theories in particular and that you know it's, it is a problem because a lot of people are looking at trying to understand what's happening around COVID-19 and in general in their lives they you know they the 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 injustices and, and the economic crisis and trying to understand that and they have very little trust in the mainstream media for very good reasons so they uh, they're looking around and inevitably some will be drawn towards conspir- conspiracy theories and from there that brings them into the into the um, sphere of influence for, for the far right, and um, you know that they, they have reached a you know a level with, with the sort of numbers that we, we we saw at the weekend that is really problematic. Well, even like the physical attacks or whatever, like you know the the videos that were going around of they had weapons. Yeah. But personally, I do think there's a big mistake on the left going on here, though, in that everybody's been tarnished with one brush you know what I mean they're saying everybody who was at that protest is an idiot and they're a conspiracy theorist and they're all right and it's not right and it's going to push people further to agree with people who are you know giving them information that they are in agreement with so I just think it's really not a good idea to just go in slating people because they have a difference in opinion on you on this topic you know it's it's not the right way to handle it and I think if the left is to truly take on the alt-right, it needs to be a united effort and it needs to be not slating ordinary working class people who may be misinformed or maybe just differing from you slightly. You know, it's 
it's not fair. I think you need to like make a very clear distinction between the organizers of this and then the people who went to it. And I think that's where things are getting confused or whatever, you know, and it's like the people who are organizing this are doing this with a very clear agenda. They don't actually care about society in terms of COVID. They don't really care about if we make it through this pandemic or not. Do you know what I mean? They're recruiting. They are looking to get people on their side. They are looking to like exploit people's well-meaningness um and like like you say like everyone's saying about like how they are scared or not scared but like confused about what the government's doing and like worried for their families and or basically saying that like the government are just lying to us which is also like a terrifying thought as well do you know what I mean and they're exploiting that I mean the left is the first to go to say to go against government regulations and stuff normally so now all of a sudden we're like only going with the government like and that's why like the right has swooped in here to kind of be like right this is something that we can um you know totally take up or whatever which is yeah there was actually a good um editorial in that um online magazine the beacon which covers a lot of anti-fascist stuff and it was making points along these lines like that the question is how do we reach out to those people who are were attracted to you know like this like anti-government do you know what i mean like that there'll be people even any protest you have that's sort of like against the government you get people from all different sort of political persuasions, like ordinary people who may not agree with, like, you know, say we were up there, they may not agree with everything that we say. Um, But I, th- I think, like, it, the question is how do you reach them and not just, like... um Alienate them. just, like, push them into, in, in, into the arms. Yeah. And, like, I, I think, like, like one of the things, like, when the left are talking about it, like, I mean, if we're there talking about... Uh, like there's a danger in terms of like the language, how it all gets mixed up, like, you know, because people see so much on the internet these days. Um, so like I, I think like clearly ex- like one of the key issues is like class consciousness is really really low. So therefore, people look around and they don't look at things in terms of their their class interests. Um, and like the idea that well, when people go well, is it really in my interest that I don't wear a mask? Is it in my na- you know like in terms of solidarity is like the great replacement theory, all this type of stuff? Is that actually real? Like, is there really a guy called Q? who's high up in the White House, who posts stuff on the internet, like, every, like, other week to expose stuff, like, you know? Um, but, like, I think there's one example that I can give in terms of the role that, that these people play. So, like, the Debenham strike is ongoing now at the moment, okay? Um, so, like, these are, like, so this is the role that one of the far-right groups, the National Party, played in this. So you have a group of about a thousand workers who are going to, like, the company, this, like, major company that's now going bust is trying to shaft them out of all their uh, redundancy money. So like they're in the it's like a David versus Goliath battle, like, you know. Um so on one of the picket lines the the National Party turn up and instead of like showing solidarity and like how how can you win the strike, they come in with going, Oh, where's all your foreign colleagues? Are they not out on the strike? Like, you know? So like in this Stop it. Oh yeah, yeah. Like they, they got thrown off, like, you know. But like they came yeah. in, like you have this situation where you have a group of workers fighting back against a major boss, and instead of putting the blame on the boss for screwing these workers over they try and divide the workers like you know to make them even weaker and that's the role that they, like you multiply that by a million and that's like the role that they're trying to play in society in terms of they they distract you away from who's the person really robbing you and they look uh, they try and place the blame on like you know like somebody who's no fault for yeah for anything. and that's like, like exactly what you're saying Nicole. like the left has to be really serious now in terms of putting up a united front against the far right because they are growing they are getting more numbers they are getting more numbers at their protests they are getting more aggressive. They're, you know, they have these ideas for society and like we need to stop them. There's just like no question. It has to be like zero tolerance. And we can't let them own the anti-establishment platform. Like, Well, this is the thing. Like, That's ours as well. <laughs> the right are very good at like 
coming together, you know, even though all these different groups, like all these different heads or whatever, like Justin Barrett and whoever, like a lot of them, like, you know, have bad blood with each other and stuff like that. And they don't agree on a lot of things and, you know, whatever. But you will be sure as hell that they will come together under a topic that's like, you know, uh, favorable to them or whatever it is and they will like stand together under that and like the left have to do the same if we're going to conquer them in any way shape or form you know if we're all fighting with each other and not fighting with them then it gives them a lot of space and time you know to be um growing like they are or whatever so yeah but we do have two figures of the antifa heroes that we need to look up to now antifa super soldiers jedward <laughs> are on the case they've come out everyone's like can't believe Jedward are cool I've liked Jedward since they were cool okay me like, too that's I'm, what I was thinking well. I'm delighted everybody <laughs> me too them. I literally I'm like no one ever appreciated them and now everyone's like oh Jedward are cool I'm like yeah you're like 10 years too late okay <laughs> Jedward are we're always cool <laughs> you're serious seriously yeah I'm, yeah, no, I'm actually serious. serious. I actually <laughs> I had a signed picture of them in my room. Like, oh I'm, my God. I'm no not way. even joking. I'm not even joking. Oh, I, I didn't like, go that far now, Jesse. I was like proper. <laughs> I was like 12 years old. All right. Like, that's <laughs> oh, yeah. In fairness, I was probably 18 or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, now it's swinging back in Jesse's favor. <laughs> Nicole is the worst. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. What year were they on the X Factor? I can't even <laughs> remember them yet. Maybe I was a bit older. Jeez. I don't know. Anyway, let's back to um, why we were talking about them now. <laughs> there, there are um, inspirations <laughs> for Antifa. Um, there's been a few other funny Twitter things this week, hasn't there? Like, have you been like, keeping up with any of the funny things going on? Oh, did you see Boris Johnson? So Boris Johnson went to a. He's re-emerged now. You know, he dis- he disappeared there for a few months, uh, but he's re-emerged. Yeah, now. didn't he? I was <laughs> I was one- when I saw him in the news. I was like, oh Jesus, yeah, I forgot about him. <laughs> So, so, so the, it, we are sort of talking about this earlier on. So, they're trying to get kids back to school in Britain, and now next week they're going to launch a campaign where they're going to get like, uh, like force people to go back to to the office, like you know, uh, because like rents are crashing for offices, etc. So, uh, Johnson was going into a school to show how safe it was in the school. So, just say he's standing, you know, in the middle of the classroom, and you can see the left hand side of the classroom. All the desks are spaced out, so there's only one kid at each desk. Like they're socially distant, you know. And then when he finishes the interview and the camera zooms, in the other corner of the class, you see all the other kids are just packed in over there to give the impression <laughs> <laughs> that there was social distance. But like they're all just like 20 of them in the corner, like, you know, on top of each what other. What the oh, hell? The like... guys, uh... And they showed it. They actually I aired that. that cameraman clip. knew exactly what he was doing. And he yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a working class hero. Mm-hmm. There was a, they made a speech, wasn't it? And there, there was the obligatory bookcase was behind him. I think, I think it was the same school event. Um, and but when you zoomed in, you could see there would seem to be a load of books strategically placed behind, oh, yeah. all of which kind of had lefty and uh, anti-establishment type themes. So there was Fahrenheit four five one. There's a book called Exodus, which is about a post climate change apocalypse world in which. Uh, which migrants are the heroes and um there's something called a book called the twits which kind of seemed to speak for itself yeah yeah that was my favorite one that was like it, it, nothing like subtle about it at all just like fucking twit <laughs> uh, and then on the toll and a book which is a tale of a dystopian world run by the most corrupt elements in, in society so all these were the, the books direct around his around his head so that looked like some uh, teachers and perhaps some students had done some good work there <laughs> as part of the resistance 
I think that's so good. Like, I think the school really showed them up. Like, we should find out the school and, like, you know, recruit them to yeah. rise. <laughs> they seem to be on their side. Yeah. The the other little Twitter story I th- I saw I think it was either earlier today or or yesterday was just out of Hurricane Laura. Um, so uh, apparently that there's an area, a small town called Lake Charles in Louisiana, uh, and just a few days ago the there was a, had been a campaign on there for the removal of one of these Confederate statues where it was in this town. But the local parish officials, as they're called, had voted just a few days ago to retain the statue by a margin of 10 to 4, apparently. Um, but then uh, along comes Hurricane Laura. Now, and thankfully, it seems to have done a lot less damage uh, in general, but it seems to have carried out a surgical strike and flattened this <laughs> Confederate statue. <laughs> That's class. <laughs> seems, you know... Uh, uh, for the God-fearing people of the local parish officials, that would seem to be sending them a, a, a message. So I don't know how they're going to re- respond to that, but you would, hopefully they'll uh, suck that up as a message from God and just leave it where it belongs. Yeah, yeah. If they, yeah, they're such like Christian fundamentalists, you know what I mean? They'd have to take that as a message. <laughs> I'm telling you, we have new comrades on the scene. We have Comrade Storm Laura. We have Jedward. We have um, the school that Boris Johnson. We have a lot of a lot of good developments going on. Antifa's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. Right. Um, on that note, I think we're going to have to wrap it up for this week. Um, thanks everyone for coming on again, and thank you to everyone as always for listening. We want to say a big special thank you this week though to everyone who donated to our fundraiser it was a huge success we could not get over how like many people donated and how many people donate such like large amounts stuff like that we were absolutely like overwhelmed by it um so i don't know if you can tell but our silky sounds of our voice are recorded on our new mics now paying off already (laughs) yeah exactly um anyway yeah we want to say thank you to everyone we're going to be buying even more equipment we're going to be uh getting a graphic designer in to do a new logo and that brings us on to our relaunch that we are having in two weeks time so stay tuned because we're going to have a very special episode um and there'll be bonus content for everyone who donated and everything like that and yeah we wouldn't have been able to do it without you so thank you so much everybody thank you very much um yeah and we'll be back again same time same place next week bye bye, bye. all right everybody thanks everyone